Well, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 35, and we're going to look to go through Genesis 35 and Genesis 36, so get comfortable. No, it's not going to be that long, I promise. But we will scan and survey Genesis chapter 36 as we look at uh, the family line of Esau. And we'll begin there with Genesis 35. Genesis 35, we're looking at the life of Jacob. Today we end our studies looking at his life. And where there was compromise, now there's consecration. I want you to know that there is a time in each and one of our lives where we can go from compromise to consecration, from backsliding to obedience, from backsliding to revival. And there are painful lessons in the process that we have to learn. Because what happened with Jacob is that God told him to go to Bethel, and instead, he went to Shechem. He said, I want to be independent. I have my own plan. I have my preferred place. Be very careful that you do not select your preferred place instead of God's divine appointment. God has a specific appointment for your life for you to serve him in. And because he went out to Shechem, we see there that his daughter was then raped, that his sons became murderers. And there he was at a backslidden state because he was at the wrong place doing the wrong thing. But now he's going back to Bethel. In fact, we titled the message uh, this evening, tonight, back to Bethel. Would you write that down today? Back to Bethel. Where is Bethel? What does Bethel mean? What does Bethel represent? Bethel means the house of God. And what the Lord was telling Jacob, I want you to go now back to the house of God. I'm sending you to the place where we first met. I want you to visit now and go and stay there and go and live there to the place where I first spoke to you, to the place where I first revealed myself to you, where you first heard my voice. And that's a very important place in our spiritual walk as well, that we would go back to the place where we were on fire for God. That we would go back to the place where we first heard the voice of God. That we would say, Lord, today I want to go back to the place so that there would be revival in my life where I'm hearing your voice, where I'm passionate about serving you, where I have vision to follow you. And that we would not be resisting where God is calling you to go. There are many times God calls you to do something, whether it's in your personal walk, taking a step of faith, calling you into the ministry, telling you to to go forward, and oftentimes we hesitate. We have our personal excuses. We say, Lord, no, I like the program I have right now. And I want you to know something, even tonight, if there's one thing that you learn from tonight, is this, God will take nothing less than complete surrender. Pay attention to that, please. God will not take anything less than complete surrender. He he doesn't want some of it. He wants all of it. (laughs) He wants you to say, Lord, here I am. You have all of it. You do whatever you want. Rearrange my schedule. Change my life 
Lord, do what you wish. Here I am, Lord. It's complete surrender. You know what the many problems that happen in the church to do with Christians? Most of them, the problems in the church with believers all have to do with incomplete obedience. Maybe there's problems taking place in your life right now. I'll I'll let you know. Oftentimes, the reason why you're facing problems, why you don't have peace, it's because of incomplete obedience. You know what that means? That we, we know what God wants us to do. And sometimes we even start doing it. But, but then we, we stop and, and we don't continue to accomplish what he's already told us to do in his will. So then even what we started begins to die. Why? Because there's incomplete obedience. We want to not only begin what God's called us to do, we want to complete it. We want to finish it. We want to continue it. We, we want to go from faith and obedience to, to cleansing also in our lives and daily renewal. And that's what this chapter is about, cleansing and renewal. You want a revival? That's what it takes. Cleansing and also renewal. Today, each and every one of us need that in our life. Lord, cleanse my heart. Cleanse my heart from pride. Cleanse my heart from reservations. Cleanse my heart from excuses. Cleanse my heart, how about this, from selfishness. (laughs) From saying, Lord, this is what I want. And give me renewal. Take me to Bethel. Take me to that place where I, as a pilgrim, progress and advance and arrive at the place of God's appointment. And I want to ask you today, are you in the right place right now in life? Or are you where you want to be? Because as pilgrims in this world, as sojourners, notice what we're doing. We're journeying. And we just want to be where God wants us to be. We want to arrive at God's appointment. We want to make it there. Now, you know what the good news of the gospel is? That we don't have to stay where we are. We don't have to stay the way we are. No matter how many times we failed, and Jacob failed many times, we can go home again to the Lord. We can be received there if we repent and obey. That's where the cleansing comes. That's where the renewal comes. That's where the revival begins. We talk a lot about a revival. You know what it takes to have revival? It's not a banner at a church, I'll tell you that. It's not simply a name of a ministry. You know what it takes to have true revival? Brokenness and repentance, renewal, obedience to God. I like what Charles Finney said when he spoke about revival. Revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. A revival is nothing else, notice that, but a new beginning of obedience to God. You know what that means? Today I can have revival in my life by saying from this day forward, I'm going to obey again, Lord. I'm going to surrender completely. I'm going to respond. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to, Lord, answer the call. That's what revival looks like. You want God to use your life? You know what you do? And I'll tell you this. Someone told me this when I was growing up in the ministry. Just whatever God tells you, whenever God opens the door and you pray, just say yes to everything. (laughs) And God's going to take you farther than what you ever thought and use your life. And I'll encourage you, whenever God opens the door and puts it right before you, even when you haven't asked, you know what you need to do? Just say yes. Yes, Lord. 
Lord, yes, Lord. Whatever you say, yes, Lord. How many of us today want to say yes, Lord, to what he has? Amen. Genesis 35, let's read it together. Then God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away your foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in that day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we ask that today you would speak to us directly. Would you convict our hearts about Bethel? Lord, that we would not be in Shechem tonight, that we would not backslide, that we would not compromise, that we would not hold back. Teach us what you have for us today, Jesus. And let us respond. Let us say with complete surrender, yes, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Together we would say, amen. We see here three things in this chapter, in these two chapters that we'll look at tonight. Number one, a new start. Number two, a new son. And then a new standing. Number three, a new start, a new son, and a new standing. And that new start, that revival begins with a command. Do you know that when God wants to do something new in your life, you know what it starts with? Him commanding something from you. When God calls you, you know, it's not only a calling, it's also a command. When God's calling is on your life, notice the calling, it's not optional. If you say he's the Lord of your life, then the calling also is a command. And notice how the command goes right, how it sounds like here. It said, then God said to Jacob. And if you notice there in your Bible, there's a comma after the word Jacob. And I love this here because this is the follow-up of what God is doing in his life. This here is the command as to what he's about to do in his life. And notice what he said. God said to Jacob. Jacob failed many times. Jacob was stubborn. Jacob was rebellious. Jacob had his own plan. Jacob was a schemer. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. But here God is still speaking to Jacob. God is dealing with Jacob with grace and with patience. And we ought to be grateful today that God doesn't speak to Jacob. He doesn't speak to us in judgment. You notice what he does? He gracefully speaks to us in patience. For the fifth time in Jacob's life, God visited Jacob again in grace and not in judgment. This is God initiating this revival. Do you see that? God said to Jacob, man cannot fabricate a revival on their own. You can't manipulate for a revival to happen. You can't bring up a revival by you striving, by you working hard, by you building up hype. Look at, this is what a revival looks like. You can pray for a revival, yes, but you cannot program a revival. You know what a revival, when it begins, when God speaks. Remember that. That's what it means. God speaks and the church responds. And God here is still speaking to Jacob. God is calling Jacob. And you know what he's doing? He's calling him to separate himself from Shechem. Shechem represented worldliness. 
Shechem represented carnality. He's saying, I want you to depart from one location and I want you to set a destination for another. And this is important that we listen to this tonight. Maybe God is calling you to leave one location and go to another. Maybe God is saying something. The, the only cure here to worldliness in the life of Jacob wasn't that, that he would just repent where he was at. You know what needed to happen? He needed to separate himself from it. <laughs> A new beginning never begins by you just repenting. You know what you also need to do? Separate yourself from it. So God is speaking to Jacob. And notice what he says here. Arise, go up to Bethel. Now, I love in the New Living Translation, it mentions it this way. Get ready and move to Bethel. And notice not only does he say get ready and move to Bethel, he says dwell there, stay there, settle there. God speaking, God directing. How about this? God leading. Dwell there, stay there at God's appointed place for you. God has an appointed place for you, and he desires that you go there, and notice that, that you stay there. That this is the place God called you, so you need to dwell there. You need to stay there. You and your family. I think it's important that we, as we're following the Lord, that we say, Lord, speak to me about where you want me to be. And after you pray that, trust God when he moves you. Trust God to move you wherever he needs you to be. Trust God to move you when he needs you to move where you live, where he needs you to move where you work, where he needs you to, where he needs you to be in service, in ministry. Because God here is saying in one verse, arise, get up, get ready, and go back to the house of God. Now, I want to ask you, what is God saying to you tonight? Where, where does he want you? Is he asking you to go back to Bethel, the place where he first met you? The place where you heard his voice? Because not only is there a specific purpose in your life, I also want you to know there's also a specific place. And that's where you want to stay. You want to follow the leading of the Lord because that's where his blessing is at. That's where his presence is at. Notice before God tells him to build him an altar, you know what he says? Build obedience and then build a sacrifice. It's not simply about the sacrifice. It's also about the obedience before the sacrifice. So he says, go to Bethel and make an altar there to God. You see, God was not interested in his sacrifice until he was first interested in his obedience. And sometimes we can say, well, I'm still serving the Lord. Yes, but you're doing it where you want to do it. <laughs> yes, you're doing it the way you want to serve the Lord. Yes, you have your own program. And God is saying, no, I want you to move to Bethel now. I want you to follow my leading." I want you to go and build me an altar there to worship. Now realize this, this is the first time in scripture that God commanded for someone to build him an altar. You know what he's saying? Resume your life of worship again. I want you to come back to this, to this place, build an altar and begin to worship me again. That's what the altar is for. It's the place of obedience. It's the place of sacrifice. It's the place of holiness. But it, the, most importantly, you know what the altar represents? Worship, devotion. Go back there and worship me again. 
You go back to the place where, where God first appeared to you, where God first revealed himself to you. In fact, he, he notice how he describes it, to the place when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. You know what he's saying? Return to your first love. Go back to the place that you're running from. And sometimes we say, Lord, but I don't want to go there. Lord, but that is too painful. That's dangerous. God. You know what the Lord is saying? I want you to go back there because that's where I'm going to bless you. You know what God's calling you? To go to Bethel. Go to the house of God right now. And everything else shall be added unto you. Matthew 6, 33. We know this verse very well. Jesus would say, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. I think oftentimes we reverse it in our mind, in our heart. We say, we want all these things and Lord, after we'll seek the kingdom of God. Make sure your priorities are in order when it comes to hearing God's voice. Seek first his kingdom and then he will add all of these things unto you. Here is a command that is specific. The command of following him back to the house of God. And notice here, not only is there a command, but also verse 2, the cleansing. Look at the cleansing there in verse 2. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, notice what happens here. Jacob was going to prepare his house to go to the house of God. Jacob was ready to be a spiritual leader. He's saying the time of compromise is over. We're not waiting any longer. He spoke to his house and to everyone who was with him. He, he heard God's voice. And notice what he does as a spiritual leader there. He communicates what God is saying. You know what? He says, goes back to assembly. God is telling us to move now. This is what God is saying. God is saying that we ought to go back to Bethel, the house of God. He's leading his family closer to the Lord. Man, you ought to be listening to the voice of God so that you can lead your family closer to the Lord. You cannot lead your family closer to Bethel if you're not hearing the voice of God. You know what he's being here also? A godly influence in his home. How can you be a godly influence in your home? if you don't hear the voice of God. But notice what he does. He responds in obedience. He, he learned the lesson already. He learned that when God speaks, you know what we do? We obey. When God speaks, we don't, we don't come up with a spiritual excuse as to why we don't want to obey. And he's leading his family. He's leading his children, those that were rebellious as well. He's admonishing them in the ways of the Lord. Notice, man of God, Fathers, mothers today, we have a responsibility. We have a calling of God to admonish our children closer to the Lord. A calling, a responsibility to teach them God's way. This is what he's about to do. In Ephesians 6.4, what does Paul tell the fathers? He says, and you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't, don't discourage them. Don't cause them to stumble. Don't cause them to become angry. You know what he says, but bring them up in the admonition. Admonition is a beautiful word. Raise them up, train them, discipline them, teach them in the ways of the Lord. Here he's all about the cleanliness of the heart. It, cleanliness, notice this, 
is always next to godliness. Would you remember that tonight? Cleanliness is always next to godliness. And he's going to teach his family habits of cleanliness. What does it mean to live a clean, pure life? Now, now notice here the cleansing that takes place in his life. This cleanliness, this, this cleansing is a continual process as you, a man of God, as you, a Christian, as you, a woman of faith, are continually progressing in these areas. Three things he tells his family. Notice here the first one. The first one is this. He says, put away the foreign gods that are among you. And I love here because he understands the principle of separation. And he knew that Rebekah had stolen those idols. He knew that the servants of his household even had some idols in the house. So what does he say before we go to the house of God? What are we going to do? Because we know God. We're going to put away all the foreign gods. You know what that means? Put it away. Cast away all the idolatry. There in your Bible today, I want you to write, put away idolatry. Get rid of compromise. Get rid of sin. Clean up the house. Don't tolerate anything that is taking the place of your devotion to God today. That's what idolatry means. And idolatry can be something that's even good. It could have started off as a blessing that, that came from God, whether it's a job, whether it's a career, whether it's, it, it is the advancement in life, the blessing, the house, the relationship, the family. <laughs> that it started as a blessing, but then you made it into an idol. It can also be something like that. So he's saying, put away all idols. Don't tolerate anything that gets in the way in your heart from worshiping the Lord. Here specifically, idolatry was the foreign gods. You know what that sounds like in our lives? Worldliness. If there's any worldliness in your life, you know what you ought to do today? Put that away already. If you want to live a clean life, put it away. Have nothing to do with it. That friendship, that hobby, that addiction that is separating your time from God. Is your heart divided right now? Because God is saying, put that away already. But the second thing he does after hearing God's voice, notice what he says, and purify yourself. Notice there in verse two, purify yourselves. This is the kind of people that we need to be, sanctified people. You know what he's saying? S set apart your heart. The purify yourself speaks of the heart. It speaks of the inner person. This is what he's talking about. Put away the gods, but also now come with a pure heart to the house of God. Don't come with impure motives. Don't come with bitterness. Don't come with unforgiveness. Don't come with any unconfessed sins. Purify your heart. Set your heart apart for God. Today, I want to encourage you to do the same thing, that you would examine your heart and say, Lord, I'm going to put away all idols and I'm going to set my heart apart only for you. I'm going to sanctify myself to God. That's what it means. Purify yourself. Cleanse your life. But notice it's not only from the inside, it also goes to the outside. And notice what he tells him there, the third thing. And he says this, and change your garments. 
You know what he says? And change your clothes. He's saying if there is an inward spiritual work taking place, then outwardly it should also be represented. And the changing of the clothes in this time, you know what it's symbolic of? It was symbolic. It was a symbol of a spiritual representation of a new beginning. We're going to change our clothes. We're going to come now outwardly clean as well. Not only the inner person, but it's going to be reflected in the outward person as well. It's, it's the inner work reflected in the outward person as well. You know what he wanted them to be? Jacob wanted them to be cleaned up. And he says, if you're going to come to the house of God, we're going to come in the right way. He, he wanted them to be in the best frame of mind to come before the God whom they had neglected. They neglected God, so now we're going to come back to God the right way. We're going to put away idols. We're going to purify our hearts. We're going to change our garments now. We're going to come in a way that in, our, in, in a presentation that, that is fit because we're coming with an audience of a king. This is not a time to dress down. This is a time to dress up, to clean up, because we're going to the house of God. And you know what this represents? Just as the dirt defiles the body, sin defiles the heart. And he says, we need to be washed of ourselves. I like what Barnhouse, the commentator, says about this. He says, throughout the Bible, garments symbolize character. The inward life of the unregenerate is compared to a polluted garment. Notice, a polluted garment, that's what the character is. And what is he saying when he says, clean up your garments? Our old garments, our old character represent the old life. They represent the old habits. They, they represent the old man with its failures, with its sins, with its setback, with its backslidden states. You know what God has done when we've come to him? God is so rich in mercy and his grace. You know what he's done? He's given us new garments that represent a fresh beginning. You know what those garments look like? They're called robes of righteousness. We're, we're clothed in the robes of righteousness now. In fact, write this down, Isaiah 61.10. This is what we're dressed in by God. He has dressed us this way now. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Notice, for he has clothed me. I'm joyful. I'm rejoicing my soul because he's clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with robes of righteousness. It's amazing that one day we lived a life that where we were dirty in sin. <laughs> we were lost in sin. We were covered in sin. You know what the Lord has done? He has washed us with his blood. He has cleansed our life, like the cleansing we see here. And then he has clothed us with new garments, our grace garments. David said it this way because he knew he needed cleansing in his life. In Psalms 51, verse 2, he says, Wash me thoroughly. From iniquity. You know what this, what they're doing here in this new beginning? They're, they're, they're becoming washed. They're being cleansed here. That's the desire that you should have today. Lord, if, if, if I'm going to have a new beginning, first I need to be cleansed. I need to be washed. Lord, would you cover me with robes of righteousness? Would you cleanse me of my sin? The, the, the psalmist David would say, purge me, cleanse me with hyssop. And I shall be clean, that little leaf that they would use to cleanse and to wash. 
Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. What did Paul tell the church of Ephesus? Know this, when it comes to you living a new life now? Ephesians 24 Ephesians 4, verse 22 through 24 says this, that you put off concerning the former conduct of the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. You have to put that off already. You have to be cleansed. You have to put that away. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that then you would put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. What is God calling us to do? Put off that old life and put on the new man, the new life that is created according to the image of Christ Jesus. You know what this is a picture of in in only two verses? I don't know how we're going to do two chapters, to be honest with you. (laughs) This is a picture of holiness. This is God's desire for our lives. This is Jacob saying, we're going to get right with God. We're not going to play games anymore. We're not going to play church. We're not going to run from God. We're not going to stay backslidden. We're not going to make excuses. We're going to repent. We want revival. We want to hear God's voice. You see, Jacob's family only got right with God after one thing. His family was only able to get right with God after Jacob himself got right with God. Get right with God and then watch your family follow. Follow your example. As a man of God, that's exactly what God wants us to do, to get right with God. And then you'll start to see the effects in the life of those people that are around you. There's, there is power in purity. If you're compromising in your home, but you're expecting other people to be saved that are not saved, you're going to be waiting forever. You know what the power is? The power is in Purity. The best preparation to reach other people that don't know Jesus, the best preparation, you know what it is? A pure life. And here they're preparing for a new encounter with the living God. What do we need to do? Clean up our lives. And notice what he says there in verse 3. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel. You like that word then? It means that something has to happen before we go to God's presence. You already know the truth. We already know the living God. We're coming back to him. That then means that we're going to arise. We're going to go to Bethel. We're going to walk with God the right way. And notice what it says, then let us arise and go up to Bethel. We don't want to be down here anymore. We want to go back up and meet the Lord there. We want to have this divine appointment with God. We have every intention to obey because he says this, and I will make an altar there to God. Do you see that he's following instructions? Uh, There I'm going to make an altar to God. Why is he going to make an altar to God there? Who answered me in the day of my distress. Think about that. He's he's remembering. And he's telling his family, I'm going to build an altar. We're going to worship God. We're going to clean up our lives. God is the one that answered my prayer. When I was in trouble, God is the one that answered. Remember that today. That that draws you back into the presence of God. God was with me wherever I went. When I was distressed, he's the one that answered me. And, verse 3, and has been with me in the way which I have gone. Think about God's faithfulness. Not only did he answer me, but his presence 
has always been with me. God has been so faithful. He boldly here bears the witness that God said to him that he was going to be with him no matter where he went. He boldly here is bearing the witness of everything God did for him already. This is who God is. Would you remind yourself who God is? Would you think about the truth of who God has been in your life? He's answered my prayer. He's been with me wherever I've gone. We're going to go back to him. That's where we're going. Where are you going? There is a command. There is a cleansing. But notice there's also a commitment. And that's exactly what God wants from you today. He's asking for your commitment. The very thing we want to reserve to ourselves. The very thing we want to hold back. And notice what happens here. In verse 4, they respond with commitment. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods. They surrendered everything that they were holding on to. They surrendered everything that came between them and the Lord. Notice, which were in their hands. And the earrings which were in their ears. They were all symbolic of pagan worship. And Jacob hid them. Notice he buried them under the turnbuth tree, which was in Shechem. Everything that was in their hands and everything that they wore that represented ungodliness. Notice what, what happens here. They gave it all up to Jacob. And he goes and he buries it there to commemorate a, a very important event in this tree that would last long. You know what he's symbolizing as he hides it there? He's not going back to it ever again. We're, Lord, we're not just turning away from it. We're, we're burying it. And we don't plan on going back to that ever again. We're not just putting it away. We're not simply, you know, uh, hiding it in our house. It doesn't honor God, so we're going to bury it. It's going to die. We're not going back to it. Is there anything in our homes, in your house right now, that doesn't honor God, that, that represents idolatry? We, we have to examine our houses, clean up the house. If there's anything there that doesn't represent holiness, movies maybe that you watch, things that you pay attention to, anything that represents things of the occult, dark things, things of horror. I, I, I want to encourage you as believers that you would never open up your mind to things that are demonic. Things that only open your heart and mind to darkness. You know what we should open instead? Open up the Bible and know the truth, know the light. That's where the Christian should be. That there would be nothing that you need to get rid of that you're hiding. Whatever is hiding, bring it out. Bury it. Say, I'm not going back to it. And notice what God does on their way there. It says, and they journeyed, verse 5, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. You know what happens here in verse 5? God's protection. God keeps his promise to Jacob even when Jacob fails. God said, no matter where you go, I will be with you. I will protect you. I will provide for you until I'm done doing what I need to do with you. God is so faithful. No matter what we do, on his way back to Bethel, you know what he does? He brings the fear of God to the surrounding city so that they do not attack Jacob. You know what they want to attack Jacob? Because two of his sons just murdered an entire city. 
And he, he was vulnerable. He was guilty of it. He had failed. But here's God's grace again. Even when he sinned, even when he was made vulnerable, even though he thought maybe it's dangerous to go back because I have to pass through all these people in these cities that heard what my sons did. They ruined my reputation. Yes, it may be dangerous to step back to go to Bethel. But you know what's more dangerous? To disobey God. That's more costly. The only thing that can save him, the only thing that can save you is obedience. The only thing that can save us is, is complete surrender, absolute surrender to God. No matter what the circumstances look like, you know what the safest thing to do, the safest place to be in is in the will of God, in the center of the will of God. Or you say, I, I know this is where God wants me. I like what Warren Worsby says. He says, when God's people are doing God's will in God's way, notice that, they can depend on God's provision and protection. When you're doing God's will, God's way, you know what you can depend on? His provision, he's gonna provide, and his protection, his hand will be on it. Regardless of the opposition, regardless of the mistakes that you make. <laughs> Think about God's grace. He, you, you step out in faith and obedience, and you make many mistakes along the way. You're stubborn, you're prideful, you want your way, you want it to make it happen now. You make many mistakes, immaturities, carnality, worldliness, and God says, I'm still going to protect you. I'm going to be with you until I'm done doing what I need to do in your life. Isaiah 41.10, would you remember this? Fear not, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. He's going to bring strength and help. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know what that means? That we should not be afraid. When we fear God, there is nothing else that we need to fear. And it says there in verse 6 and 7, notice what happens. As they journeyed, so Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, the promised land. He and all the people who were with him, they came back. Ja Jacob eventually came back to Luz. Jacob eventually made it to Bethel. I, I pray that, that it would not take longer for us to arrive than what it needs to because of our stubbornness. You think about the nation of Israel. Notice a 10-day, two-week journey to go to the promised land it took 40 years and an entire generation dying because they were complaining, because they were rebelling, because they were stubborn, because they were stiff-necked. He eventually made it back to Luz. And all the people were with him. God promised, notice, to get him back there. And God kept his promise. Many setbacks. Some detours. But God kept his promise. Do you see who's in control here? God's faithfulness. God's grace. In spite of man's mistakes. In spite of man's failures, this is God doing a revival. This is God doing a, a new work that, that began with hearing the voice of God and saying, we're going to get right with the Lord. And notice he keeps his now part of the agreement. Because there it says, which is in the land of now Canaan in verse 7, and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel. 
Because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Notice what happens there. He makes it there. He keeps his agreement. He builds an altar and he calls the place of the altar El Bethel. It wasn't just Bethel, it was El Bethel. And it's interesting because what that means is, is God of the house. If Bethel means the house of God, notice this, Bethel means the house of God, El Bethel, you know what it means? God of the house. Well, what a new encounter, what a new revelation, what a new revival here. Because this is where God appeared to him. This is where he ran away and fled from his brother. Now, now he's doing what is right before God and he renames this place. Why? Because he not only needed to know the house of God, he wanted to know the God of the house now. And I think so many times we get obsessed with the house of God. And God is saying, I want you to know not only the house of God, I want you to know the God of the house. I want you to know whose presence dwells here. I don't want you to forget of God who is in the house. It wasn't so much the place that was important. It was the God of the place. That's what was more important. He was wanting him to find that out. Well, what has God done for Jacob? It wasn't about the place. It was about who was in the place. A holy site should never take the place of a holy God there. You know what God was showing him? You know where you need to be? You know where you need to be, Jacob, right now? You know where you need to be right now, brother, sister? <laughs> where God is at. That's where we need to be right now. Lord, I want to go closer and closer and closer to where you're at. That's where you need to be right now. Nowhere else. You have no business being anywhere else but the presence of God. Walking with God. Notice verse 8, what happens here. This is now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse died, and she was buried below Bethel under the Turmbeth tree. So the name of it was called Ellen Bukuth. What happens here in verse 8 is that Deborah was now buried there at the Ellen Bukuth, which means oak of weeping. Jacob takes care of her. He honors, he respects why she helped raise him. And he gives us here the events that took place in the later years of his life. It says, then God appeared to Jacob, circle the word there, again. Isn't that amazing? God appeared to Jacob again. God reveals himself. God is faithful. When you're doing his will, when you're where he wants you to be, when you're in his presence, you know what he does? He reveals himself. There's a new encounter God wants to reveal himself again, not, not just last year. You said, you know what? Last year, I heard from the Lord. Or last week, I heard God's voice. And what is he saying today? He, he reveals himself again. You know what this means? That the relationship is restored. Revelation chapter 2, what did the angel of the Lord tell the church of Ephesus? I want you to remember from where you have fallen, repent, and then repeat. Do the first works. You know what? God reveals himself again because he remembered, he repented, and then he repeated. He went back to Bethel. And God speaks to him. But notice when he does, God speaks to him, and he speaks a blessing over his life. There's a blessing that is waiting for us until we do what God wants us to do. You do what God wants you to do. You know what he does? He renews his covenant with you. He says, we can still 
Now continue where we left off. There's, there's confirmation now here because he's in God's presence. Why? Because he's where he's supposed to be. Because he is where he is supposed to be. Because he's where he's supposed to be. And in verse 10, notice what happens. And God said to him, this is God speaking now, reminding him, your name is Jacob, and your name shall not be Jacob anymore. But your name shall be Israel. That's what your name shall be. So he called his name Israel. Jacob means deceiver. Israel means governed by God. He's reminding him of his new identity. I want to remind you, you're a new identity. You, are, you do not live by the name of Jacob anymore. That was the old name. That was the old you. You live by a new name now. You know what that name means? Governed by God. That means you to live a life submitted to God. That's the new name that you have. Stop acting in your old nature. God wanted him to set his mind on the new person, the new man. God is constantly reminding us, even right now in his word, you know what he's reminding you? Who you are in Christ. This is who we are in Christ. We are called to be submitted and governed by him. God's reminding us that. And after he reminds you who you are, so you're not confused about going back to who you used to be, <laughs> you know what he says? And in who you are in Christ, in who you are in Christ, that's where all the riches and blessing are. That's where the blessing is. Notice what he says in verse 11 now. And, and also God said to him, I'm God Almighty. El Shaddai, one more time, he's reminding him. I'm all-powerful. I'm, I'm the all-sufficient one. You know what he's reminding him? I'm the God who nourishes. I'm the God who provides. I'm the God who's strong enough to meet every single one of your needs, Israel. And he's reminding him this, whatever God calls you to do, whatever God calls you to do, he will provide whatever is necessary where he sends you. I'm El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. Remember that, Israel. Yes, I called you to Bethel. You're knowing me, you're understanding my presence, but I'm God Almighty. I will provide whatever you need at the place where I send you. Don't ever hesitate to obey God because you're wondering how the provision will come. Oftentimes the provision comes after you've already made the step of obedience. And sometimes we want, Lord, would you send the provision now? And God says, no, I want you to go first and then I'm gonna remind you who I am again. You first know who you are in me, and then I'll remind you who I am and what I'll do through you. And notice what he's reminding him, what he's going to do through him. I'm the God who's going to meet every one of your needs. Be fruitful. Notice, be and multiply. <laughs> this is what I want you to be in him. Multiply. Notice, you're going to grow. You're going to be blessed. Nations will come out of you, and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. Notice, you're going to be blessed now. And the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you and to your descendants. After you, I give this land. Notice, you have a rich inheritance in Christ Jesus. You have spiritual blessings. He's called you to sit in heavenly places. Ephesians would tell us. Ephesians 1. And he's repeating everything he already told him once. Isn't that interesting? He's already told him all of this once. But you know what he's doing? He's reminding him of his promises that began with his grandfather and then his father and were directly associated to him all by his grace. You know what's interesting here? Jacob didn't need to hear something new from God. 
Jacob didn't need to hear something new from God. You know what he needed to do? He just needed to be reminded of what was true. Sometimes we're saying, Lord, would you give me a new word? You know what he's saying? I just want to remind you what is true about me right now. And I want to encourage you to cling on to it now. Don't wait for God to give you a new word. Cling on to the word that he's already given you. Cling on to what is true. And notice there in verse 13, what it says is, we continue reading, then God went out from him in the place where he had talked with him. Notice what God was doing. God was talking to him. God was speaking to him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had talked with him again, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering. What does that represent there? It represents worship. It represents dedication. It represents a worship that is poured out to the Lord. Here it is completely. You pour out an offering at the altar. It was, done, it was to be done completely giving up. A symbol of worship. What does he do? He worships the Lord, but the key word there is devotion and complete surrender, complete worship. And he poured a drink offering. That's what the offering represented, complete worship. And he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him. Notice Bethel again. What he's doing, he's going back to the presence of God. Jacob's restoration here is coming to a completion. Why? Because he has a heart of worship. Does that happening in your life right now? A heart of worship, cultivating a heart of worship. You know what happens when you cultivate a heart of worship? You know what you're constantly in? In a place of gratitude. You're not looking back and saying, I was robbed. <laughs> Look how much I gave up. Look how much I sacrificed. You know what you're saying when you're cultivating a heart of worship? You're saying, Look how much God has blessed. You're so grateful. Look how much God has blessed. And this heart of worship would probably determine perfectly what kind of state you are in right now. Are you in a, in a miserable state? <laughs> are you in a joyful state that has peace? They're saying, Lord, thank you. I'm looking back with this heart of worship. I'm grateful because of what God has done. God has blessed. And then they journeyed, verse 16, from Bethel. When they, had, when they were there, what had happened, but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Notice, labor was not easy. And it still isn't easy, right? <laughs> and you know what the Lord did? Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, do not fear, don't be afraid. You will have this son also. And so it was as her soul was departing, for she died through that labor that she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin, Benjamin. This means son of my right hand, from son of my sorrows to son of my right hand. There are still certain challenges and sorrows that he had to face while he was walking with God, while he was learning to trust God. He, he was learning to follow the Lord through the times of blessing, but also through the times of pain. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem, notice. That's the place where she was now, buried on the way there, and Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Rachel dwelt in the land of Reuben, went to lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. What happened to Reuben, the firstborn son? He, after 
he went and he went into his father's concubine. Israel heard about it, his father. You know what it would represent when he would receive or try to go in and sleep with his father's concubine? That he wanted to take over the family's leadership there. He wanted to take over the household leadership. That was part of the firstborn inheritance, that he would be the spiritual leader. But he had no self-control, so Reuben said, I want the leadership now. And notice what happens here. He lost that spiritual birthright of leadership when Israel, when Jacob died later on in Genesis, instead of giving the blessing to Reuben, because of what he did, he gave the blessing to Joseph. And he says, because you went and you slept with my concubine. Notice what, we don't have to wonder where he learned that because he was part of a dysfunctional home. And then from verses 23 to verse 29, it, it now lists the 12 tribes or the 12 sons of Jacob, of Israel. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. All the names there listed. You have Reuben, you have Simeon, you have Levi, Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun. Verse 24, Joseph, Benjamin. Verse 25, Dan, Naphtali. Verse 26, Gad and Asher. Now notice these men that God chose were from a dysfunctional family with many problems. And God did not choose these 12 tribes because they were great spiritual men and heroes and champions of the faith. That is not why God chose them. They were filled with problems. You know what God chose them? God chose them solely because of his own grace. These 12 tribes, they had nothing spiritually special about them, but the fact that God had chosen them. It was God's hand, it wasn't themselves. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre in Kirjath Erba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac dwelt. Now, the days of Isaac were 180 years. Notice, you think you're getting old? You're not. So Isaac breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people being old. And notice what it says, old and full. That's amazing there. You know what people say, I'm old and I'm tired. You know what he was? He died old and full. You know how you can die full? Because you're filled with God's blessings in your life. And you may say today, I'm in my later years, but I am full of God's blessing. How many full people do we have of God's blessing today? This is amazing here. We're full in our lives because of the riches of Jesus Christ. We're full of what God has in our life. Oftentimes we say, you know what, how have you been? I've been just so busy with my kids. That's the first answer if you have a growing family, right? What about this? I've been full with my children. I've been full with my grandchildren. I've been full with God's will for my life. I'm full of everything God is doing in my life. That's how he died, old and full of God's blessing. And notice what it says there. Full of days, and his son Esau and Jacob buried him. The sons reconcile there. They come together to try to give their father the proper honor and burial. And what does it tell us there? He breathed his last, died, and was gathered to his people. Notice, gathered to his people. What does that mean? That heaven is a place of reunion, where we're gathered to our people, to our family. That's what it means there, gathered to his people. What an amazing thing. What hope we have there in that verse. We sometimes read it and go right by it, but we can be gathered, reunited one day. And then in chapter 36, notice what happens there. 
It's the family of Esau now. It gives it to us in one chapter describing that he took a wife from the daughters of Canaan, which he was not supposed to do, compromising there. Make sure you don't marry the wrong person. Make sure you don't compromise. Marry a person that's spiritually mature, serving the Lord, walking with Jesus, so that you don't end up living like Esau when God wanted you to be Jacob. <laughs> when God wanted to be you to be Israel, his chosen person with a calling. And you ruined it because you went and did something wrong. But you see there from verses 1 through verses 15 or 14, the family of Esau. Then from 15 and 19, it lists the chiefs of Edom, which is descendants of his family. From verses 20 to verse 30 are the sons of Sear. Then from verses 31 to 39, the king of Edom. And then from verses 40 to verse 43, the chief of Esau. So you didn't think we were going to finish, right? God is so faithful. I told you we're going to finish today. Esau was the father of the Edomites. This is what you need to know about this. Esau was the father of the Edomites. The Edomites were the ones that did not let Israel pass through their land after they came out of the exodus of Egypt. There was always conflict between the Arab and Israel, God's people. You know what Esau, the Edomites, represent the flesh? Because he associated himself with carnality. Now, while Esau did not inherit the Abrahamic blessing, the covenant blessing, God did uh, allow that Jacob would give him a material blessing. That he would share in a material blessing. Now, notice, if God blesses so abundantly those who are not chosen. Think about that chapter. If God blesses so abundantly those who are not chosen, those whose hand, God's hand is not on, what is the magnitude of blessings for those who are walking with Jesus? If the non-spiritual like Esau experienced such outpouring of, of, of merely just common grace of God. What do you think of God's special grace on who, those that have responded to Jesus Christ? You know what the lesson here is in chapter 37? Don't let the old sinful nature control you. Do not let the old sinful nature control you. Are you walking with God or are you walking away from God? Which one is it? Are you walking with God or you're walking away from God? Are you listening to God or are you listening to other people? Don't listen to the voice of the people that want you to walk away from God. Don't listen to the people when God is calling you to say yes, that you're saying, well, I'm going to say no because person told me X, Y, and Z. Listen to what God is saying. And don't be a respecter of persons. Don't be a man pleaser. Be a God pleaser. You know how that begins? Lord, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. No more idolatry. We're putting away. We're making things right with God. Amen? Let's pray.